studying both the Old and New Testaments, we quickly recognize that family played the most important role in a person's life. Families did things together, celebrated together, ate together, protected each other, worshipped God together. God's promises extended to whole families. When we go back to the roots of our faith, to the very first words of God about His will concerning His relationship with us, we see that His intention is ultimately to bless families. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God calls us out of our godless families and lifestyle, and then calls us to go back and reach them with the truth that set us free. That was the situation with Paul's Philippian jailer. Cornelius the Centurion had that experience. Andrew reached out to his brother Peter, who would later become the great apostle. God wants to reach families, and we need to adopt this strategy for ministry. Good morning. Let me try it one more time. Good morning. Ah, oh, good, we're awake. Last week, I was speaking at uh, a men's breakfast, and uh, on a Saturday morning, I was speaking to one of the elders from that church, and he was telling me about a fundraiser that he had been at. Now, I was telling him about our fundraiser and how thrilling it was and talking about just how God was glorified and, and uh, just, you know, the great things that we were able to accomplish, the kids that were, were sponsored, et cetera, et cetera. Then he told me about the fundraiser that he was at, and uh, uh, it was at one of our sister churches, actually, and he said, I was, uh, I got to tell you, Alan, I was pretty shocked. I said, really, why, what happened? Well, he says, uh, they, uh, they were raising money by having a dance. I said, in the church? Yeah, in the sanctuary. Yeah, really? Okay. And uh, yeah, they had a secular band playing, and, um, uh, and, and they had a cash bar at the back of the, of, of the sanctuary. And I said, so that's how they, what were they raising money for? Well, they're sending their kids on a missions trip to tell people in Jamaica about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I said, did they, did they say anything about Jesus at this fundraiser? No, Jesus wasn't even mentioned, not a word about him. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there utterly shocked. I'm just about to stand up and speak in front of everybody, and I, like, my mind has gone into a fog now because I can't, I can't seem to process this information. One of our sister churches has just had a, a dance and, and open bar to raise money to send people on a trip to tell them about Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is not the way I was raised. And I told, the, I said that to, you know, the, the elder that I was talking to, and he said, it's not the way I was raised. And that's certainly not what our grandparents taught us, and it's not what our parents taught us. In fact, that last generation, they did not, they would not have approved of that at all. I said, you don't have to go back to the last generation. I don't. I don't approve of that. Because we were taught, Verses like this, Colossians 3.17, that says, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And we memorize verses like this, 1 Corinthians 10.13, so, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
And I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's a whole world out there that's watching us, listening to us, especially if you tell people you're a Christian. And I'm going to tell you what, what you say and what you do really does matter. So the question is this. In, this. in this world that's becoming increasingly more secularized and is becoming less and less tolerant of church and what churches teach and who we are, it's becoming more and more difficult for the next generation to go on walking with God. So we've got a major, major challenge ahead of us. I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I feel the weight of this extremely heavy upon my shoulders. What do I do as a pastor? How do I teach this next generation and keep this next generation close to the heart of God? Folks, that's why we're doing this series called The Missional Life, because here's what you and I need to understand. If you are a Christian today, if you say, I am a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I put my faith in Jesus, then here's what you need to know about you. You, according to Scripture, and according to Jesus' command, you are on a mission. Your mission is to share the good news about Jesus Christ, to tell anyone and everyone who will listen to you about what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's it. And we do it until we die. That's quite a life sentence, isn't it? You and I are called by God for the rest of our lives, if you put your faith in Jesus, to go and tell people about the love of God. Now, I said last week, in our, the first of our three weeks on missional living, we said that what we need to do, first and foremost, is we need to have the eyes of God. We need to see people the way God sees them. Because many of us maybe are tempted to be judgmental and condemning of other people. And a lot of times we don't even know we're doing that. And, you know, it could be your kids that feel judged, judged and, and condemned by you. And, or maybe your spouse, or maybe your, a brother or a sister. It's interesting. Uh, you hear that all the time. But here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to see people the way Jesus sees them. And how does Jesus see people who are not following God, who are not where they need to be spiritually? Jesus says, Jesus, it says that Jesus saw the crowds as people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we see those who aren't walking with God, as people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to tell you, we make a huge mistake if we start to judge and condemn because the Bible is very clearly says to us that Jesus did not come into this world to, to condemn or to judge the world, but to give his life and to save this world. This is how we need to see people who, who don't know Christ. We need to see them as people who are harassed, helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We need to see them as people that need to know God. Would anybody say amen to that? Now, some of us, have got uh, children who, who are not following God. In fact, quite the opposite. In fact, they're hostile to God. They're hostile to your faith. They're, they're hostile to the church. They don't believe. Uh, maybe, maybe you've got in-laws like that, or maybe a mother or a father like that, hostile, and they don't want to hear about it. Or maybe they grew up in the church, and they feel guilty, and so they don't really want to engage with you on it because they feel so guilty about it. Well, 
This morning, what I want to do is I want to try, by God's grace and by his spirit, to inspire within you a fresh vision for your family and for your children. Because I know that you care about your kids. I know I care about mine. I pray for my kids every single day. I pray that God will keep them and that God will rule over their lives and that they will continue to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want, I want you to see that, that God loves your children, your sister, your mother, your brother, whoever it is. He loves them more than you do. And I want to help you win your kids because I'm going to tell you this, churches is, is always in danger of extinction. We, someone once said we're always one gener generation away from extinction. In other words, what's got to happen now is that our generation has to pass on our faith to the next generation. Does that make sense this morning? Everybody gets that? That's your job, especially if you're a Christian parent. Your job is to, is to get your kids to the place where they know your faith and they believe as you believe. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says about about passing on the faith to the next generation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at Joshua. Joshua was the protege of Moses. Some of you will remember that. If you read uh, through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then read through Joshua, you get a picture of this wonderful young man who was actually being mentored by Moses. Moses saw Joshua as the next generation who's going to take over the leadership of Israel. And the Bible says that, that Joshua was there uh, holding up Moses' hands and, and just helping him every step of the way. And when, when Moses went to meet with God in the tent of meeting, when, when Moses went to pray and to hear from God, uh, Joshua would be alongside of him. And, and the Bible says that there's times when Moses, after he was done talking to God, Joshua would stay there and linger in the presence of, of God and, and connect with God. So you see that Joshua is a very special guy, He's a very special young man who loves God. Well, Joshua was also one of the young men that was sent out to spy on the promised land. Now, you remember, Israel leaves Egypt. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground, and God does all these miracles for Israel. He provides for them. He meets their needs, and he brings them right to the borders of what we call the promised land or Canaan. And you say, well, why is it called promised land? Because God promised that land to Abraham hundreds of years earlier, and now Israel is about to take on their inheritance. They're about to take what belongs to them. And so Moses says, Let's send out these 12 spies, tell us what's going on, give us an idea of what to expect and how to deal with this. And so the 12 spies come back and Moses says, so what did you see? What do you think? Is this doable? And Joshua and Caleb, yeah, we can do this, Moses. This, this is fantastic. I mean, what God did for us back in Egypt, he's going to do for us here. And this is fantastic. Oh, the grapes were massive. And, and oh, the land just flows with milk and honey. It's the most marvelous land. I just can't believe that God would be so good to us and give us such a wonderful land. But that was just Joshua and Caleb. The other 10, they're like, hold on a minute here. This is not as great as Joshua and Caleb are saying, yes, their land does flow with milk and honey. Yes, the grapes are massive, and it's, it's, it's a lush land. But the people there, they're like giants. And, and when they looked at us, they, they looked at us as though we were like grasshoppers. And quite frankly, we felt like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way we can do this. I mean, if we try to go into that promised land, they're going to slaughter us. And then next thing you know, these 10 spies have spread a spread a bad word 
and all of Israel, now they're all in uproar. I mean, they're just upset. And God, how could you do this to us? And how could you bring us to this place? And I thought you loved us, God. You should have just left us in Egypt. And maybe you should just take us back. And God is really upset. He's so angry, in fact, he says that anybody who's 20 or over, they're not allowed to go into the promised land. And so for 40 years, these people wander in the wilderness, and Joshua continues to be shaped and molded by Moses until that day when Moses says, his time is up. Now, you remember what it says, anybody 20 years and older could not go into the promised land. Somebody said to me once, can you imagine if you're like the last two or three old people that everybody's waiting to die? Like, somebody trip them. <laughs> Poison is water. We gotta get into that promised land. Moses dies and Joshua says, okay, let's do this thing. Let's go into the promised land. And now Joshua's like, oh, now Moses was in charge. Now I'm in charge. And, and so God meets powerfully with Joshua and he says, Joshua, be strong and have good courage. Don't be afraid. You can do this thing in the power in my power, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight your battles for you. And so Joshua has this, this fantastic relationship with God. And he recognizes that his job is not only to lead the people into the promised land, his job is not only to, to fight the battle of Jericho. How many remember that song, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho? And the, well, the walls came tough. I'm not gonna sing it for you, aren't you glad? And yeah, Joshua, and so yeah, this is fantastic. Joshua now has led the people for some 50 years. He's lived in the land. He's now about 110 years old, and he knows his time's up. It's time, time for him to be gathered to, his, to, gathered to the Lord to die. And so he gathers everybody together. He says, we've got to have a meeting. And then he says to, to everybody there, he says, uh, you need to know that I made a decision to follow God, to be committed to God, to surrender to God. I made a decision to be a stalwart and faithful Christian, a follower of God. We call him an Old Testament Christian. And now Josh was saying, you're the next generation. Now it's your turn. And you've got to make up your mind how you're going to live. And so here's what we read here. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served? And then he says, but as for me and my family, but as for me and my family, good, that's a little bit of strength there. Josh is making it really clear. This is who I am, this is what I stand for, and I'm passing it on to my generation. And he's saying, you've got, to make this, you've got to make this decision yourself. I can't make this decision for you. Joshua is saying, look, it's not enough to say I belong to this religion. You've got to have personal ownership of this walk with God, of this relationship with God. And so Joshua is saying, you've got to figure this out. Is this how you're going to live your life? Or are you going to follow the gods of the Amorites? Or are you going to follow the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates? Or are you going to follow the God who has proven himself faithful, who's brought you through the wilderness, who brought you out of Egypt, who provided food on the ground? Remember the manna? What is it? God did all this for you to show you that he's a loving father and cares for you. But now you have got to make up your mind 
to personally walk with God. So Joshua actually has three really critical messages for these people. This is his last speech. It's kind of like he's, imagine him being sort of on his deathbed and saying, this is it, now listen to these three, three things I'm going to tell you, and you can't forget this because this is what's going to keep you strong. He says, number one, don't forget God's kindness, his mercy, and his provision because it's, been, it's legendary. Don't forget that. Folks, this is what you and I, as parents and grandparents, is that we pass on to the people, the children, the, the kids, the nieces, the nephews, all the people in our life. That's, that's, I'm, I'm devoted to that, passing that on to my kids, reminding them of God's provision. The second thing that Joshua wants to remind everybody of is this, is that each person has to personally make up his or her mind to serve God. But as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua is saying, what about you? What are you going to do? Have you, ever, have you ever had a discussion about that in your family? Have you ever talked about this with your kids? And it's got to start very young, as you're going to see in just a moment. But there's a third thing that Joshua says to the people, and I'm going to talk about this more in just a moment. But he says, it's a warning. You cannot follow God or serve God in your own strength or power. You need the grace of God. Now, before I talk about that, let me just say this. I am so thankful to God, first of all, for my, for my parents. I'm thankful to my grandparents. I cannot tell you the hours and hours and hours over the years that I have had these wonderful conversations with my parents and with my grandparents. I love the story. I love asking my grandparents, tell me the story, how did grandpa become a Christian? It's really quite funny. Uh, and I love to hear that story, the power of God at work in, in, in my grandparents' life. And my grandma tells it like this, and uh, my dad's here, so if I'm making a few mistakes, dad, just pretend I'm right. <laughs> You always do, is that what you said? <laughs> okay, back here, folks. Uh, I know how to handle hecklers, even if it's my dad. <laughs> my uh, grandfather and, uh, well, actually, my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, great-grandma Johnson, was praying for his salvation. And, um, and I think my grandpa was really feeling the pressure of the Holy Spirit working on him and pressing on him, uh, not to mention the fact that my grandmother was quite forceful, uh, to put it mildly. And so finally, one day, um, and I think I'm leaving out a few details, but from what I remember my grandmother saying to me, my, my grandmother just said to him, and his name was Percival, she said, Perce, you just need to get down on your knees and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And so he said, all right. And he got down on his knees and he prayed to God, forgive me for my sins. And he got up off his knees and he said, there, are you satisfied? Grandma said, yes. <laughs> but the next day when grandpa was out plowing the fields, it suddenly, it suddenly struck him. He suddenly realized what he had done. He suddenly recognized that Jesus Christ had saved him from his sin, and that he was now a child of God, and that now he was going to heaven. And he, sa he says he just dropped everything. He got on his face right there in the cold earth with tears streaming down his cheeks. He just says, thank you, God, for saving my soul. Wow. 
what a, what a huge impact that has on a child. And they told me many, many stories. The time that there was, I think, a relative or friend that was sick and, and didn't have access to a pastor or anybody to pray for her. So, so she sent a hanky in, and my grandma took it to the pastor, and, and the pastor prayed over that handkerchief, and she sent it back to her friend, and the friend put it on her body, and, and, and she was healed. I don't know if it was a friend or a family member, but, but these are the stories that, that fill my mind from my childhood my parents and my grandparents, passing on their faith to the next generation, saying basically, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that declaration in your family yet? Do your kids believe what you believe? Have they embraced what you have embraced? It is, is it as real to them as it is to you? Well, that's your job to, to pass it on to them. One of the things I love about my dad, and if anybody knows my dad, He's not perfect. So I'm going to get even with you now. He's not perfect. My sister, I think, is sitting there. She's, she's agreeing with me. <laughs> He's not perfect. But here's what he is. He's a man that loves God. And he is a man that is very real. What you see is what you get. And folks, listen to me. All through my life, this is what I saw. I saw a man wrestling with God, wrestling with his faith, wasn't pretending, was wrestling with it and discussing it. And so as I'm growing up, I'm seeing real faith in action. I'm not seeing a perfect faith. I'm not seeing a guy that never makes mistakes. I'm seeing a real guy struggling with life, struggling with God, and saying, at the end of the day, it's worth it to stay connected to my God. That's what I grew up with. And this is what I've tried to do with my kids. I tried, to, I tried to teach them that this is, this is real. It's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with God. And I thank God for my dad and his willingness to admit that he needs God's grace in his life. He'd be the first one here to say, I'm the, unper I'm the one that's the worst of sinners. And now that I'm where I'm at in my life, I'll say, hold on a minute here. You're not the worst of sinners, Dad. I am. So those are the fights we have now. Or who's the worst? Or maybe better put, who needs God's grace the most? So there's a reason why the next generation doesn't catch our faith. It's because somehow, somewhere along the line, it was just a religion. Somewhere along the line, they didn't see the reality of it. And I'm going to tell you, by the way, and not to put pressure on fathers, but fathers, your role in all of this is far greater and far more important than you realize. I thank God for a father who, when, Dad, you don't mind me telling this. This is, this is what happens when you come to my church. This is what happens. One time, uh, we just, just became a Christian. We were working at the Boyd building, and my dad's a plumber, and I'm, I'm helping him. And so we're, I, th I don't know, we're on the fifth floor, sixth floor, I can't remember. I, I knew that I had to run down the stairs all the way to the basement to turn the water off, and then run all the way back up again to see if there were any leaks. And so dad did the plumbing work. This was in the evening. I ran downstairs, turned the water on, I ran back up again, and, and the water is squirting out it, like, it seemed like it was squirting out of everywhere, uh, but there was, a, there was a small leak, and that water was flowing. 
and my dad let out a little bit of a bad word. I know, don't think less of him. Because here's what I know about so many of you. You've done the same thing, if you're honest. So I ran back downstairs again, turned the water off, fixed it. But here's the cool thing, folks, and this has stuck with me. And it, it actually, I would, believe, I would say that this may be the single most important thing that I got from my dad that formed, helped form me as a father. On the way home from the Boyd building that night, you know what my dad said to me? He apologized to me. He said, you know, Alan, I shouldn't have said that word. It was wrong of me. I thought, wow, this is real Christianity. It's amazing. My dad is saying sorry to me for letting out a strong word. And that literally, folks, has helped shape me as a father and how I deal with my kids. And my kids speak very frank, frankly with me, and they'll tell me if I'm wrong. Sarah recently just uh, rebuked me. That's right. She put me in my place. Not in a nasty or rude or a disrespectful way, but she said, Dad, I got to tell you something, and she told me. And man, I, I knew that, that God was speaking through my daughter to me, and I had to apologize to her. I say, you know what? You're absolutely right. What I said uh, was, was not right. Now, what I said is none of your business. But I said, God, thank you. Thank you that in our family, our faith is real. We can discuss this stuff. We can be honest with one another. The question is this then. How do we transfer our faith to our kids. How does it happen? How do we transfer our faith to anybody? How do, we, how do we get people to the place where they understand what we believe and why we believe and why should they believe? Well, it's simple. It's tell you in a word what you need to do. You need to talk. T-A-L-K. You need to talk. You need to talk to them a lot. You need to tell your kids what you believe. You need to tell your family members what it is that you believe and why you believe. Dr. Polly Palumbo, a psychologist, did some research, and she was actually researching the power of parents talking to their babies and their young children in order to stimulate brain development. And this is really cool. She said, the more words that kids hear early in life, the richer their vocabularies, the richer their language, the richer their curiosity, their critical thinking, their intelligence, and school achievement. She says, kids from families on welfare heard maybe 600 words per hour, much less than those from working class. Kids that grew up in a working class home would hear about 1,200 words per hour. And those from a professional family would hear about 2,100 words per hour. Now, there's... Don't, don't panic and get upset. There's, there's, there's nothing uh, uh, prejudice against. This is just, just facts. And here's what they discovered. They said if kids don't hear as many words, it makes sense that their vocabularies will suffer, that their kindergarten readiness skills will suffer, that their reading skills will suffer, their math skills will suffer, and it goes on and on and on. She says it's easy to imagine a slippery slope from a quiet infancy 
to high school dropout. Researchers Hart and Risley estimated that by age three, poor kids would have heard 30 million fewer words than their well-off peers. They also reported that the more words children heard by the age of three, the better they performed in school and the higher their IQs. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor John, what has this got to do with our subject today? Well, remember what I said? How do we transfer our faith to our kids, to our family? We talk and talk and talk as much as we possibly can. And this should not surprise us because I'm going to tell you right now, your children's spiritual IQ, their, in, their ability to understand truth and understand God and understand what it means to have a relationship with God is dependent upon you, mom and dad. In fact, the people in your life that don't know Jesus, they're depending upon you to talk to them about your faith. Here's what God says to the children of Israel through Moses, Deuteronomy 6, 7. And it says this, repeat, did you hear the word repeat? Repeat the commands of God again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, when you're going on vacation, when you're going to the restaurant, when you're going on vacation, when you're on the rides, when you're going for a walk, when you're going to the gym, when you're going to school, when you're walking, when you're going to karate on the way home from judo, when you're going dance, whatever you're doing, talk to your kids. Tie your faith to their everyday experiences. This is what, this is, what is being said here. You gotta talk to your kids about their faith all the time. And the more you talk to them, the higher their spiritual IQ is and the more apt they are to adopt and embrace your faith. Now, the, the question that your kids want you to answer for them, the question that your family members that don't know Jesus need you to answer for them, and remember, we're missionaries. We're, if you're a Christian today, you are a missionary for the rest of your life. Your job is to tell everybody in your life about Jesus. The answer, the question that you need to answer is this, why? Why bother? Why should I be a follower of Jesus? Why should I be a Christian? What, what difference does it make? Why bother with this? It just it doesn't, it seems irrelevant. You've got to show them how it's relevant. You've got to tell them where you would be today if you had not given your faith, put your faith in Jesus Christ, where would you be? Maybe you'd be dead. Maybe you would be on Skid Row. Maybe your life would be a disaster right now. Why bother being a Christian? You need to talk about that. See, so many of us are afraid to talk to people about Jesus because, we, frankly, we don't know what to say. Well, here, I'm going to tell you what to say. Tell them your story. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Tell your kids, why did you become a Christian? Now, thankfully, my kids have heard my stories for the last, well, Jesse's been hearing it for 25 years on Sunday every morning. You need to tell them, why Christian? You need to share your story. And, and watch this, folks. Don't just share your story. Share your struggles. Yeah, sh even share your sin. 
than the mistakes you made. Oh, I can't do that. They won't respect me anymore. They won't love me anymore. I'm going to tell you something. You tell them the struggles that you're going through, you tell them about your past, they're going to respect you more because now your faith makes sense to them. There's a reason why kids don't adopt their parents' faith so often. And you know it because they haven't heard enough about it. I want to say this, stop pretending. And can I say this to you too? Stop being polite. Do you want to offend? Do you want to shove religion? How many have heard that? I want to shove religion down your throat. Look, don't, I'm not saying shove religion down anybody's throat. We're just saying have a discussion. Talk about what Jesus means to you. Without being judgmental or condemning, without over-spiritualizing, or some people like that, don't do that. Be honest. Be real. There's a danger, folks, of ritualizing our faith to the point that it becomes our family religion, where in fact, uh, it's not your personal religion. Why are you here today? Why are your kids here today? My prayer for you is that you're here because you're hungry for God and you want to learn and you want to grow. And that you would pass it on to your kids. Come on, we've got to go to church. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to be with God's people. It's real. You don't sit there, show up for church, and then just play on your phone, waiting for it to be done. And as soon as church is done, out the door, out to the parking lot. I've got to get out of here in case anybody talks to me. You know, this is the problem with so much Christianity in so many people's lives, is that it's fake. It's not real. This past, uh, this past Wednesday is, uh, anybody, I don't know if you know what day it was, it was Ash Wednesday. And, uh, and the reason I knew that is because, I, I, some of you know I like to watch CNN, and there are people with black smudges on their hand. What's, what's that? Oh, yeah, it's, it's Ash Wednesday. You know, that's what they do. And uh, it marks the beginning of a special time of prayer, penance, sacrifice, uh, good works, and preparation for the celebration of Easter. And some of you have said, Pastor Alan, why don't we practice Lent here? Why, why are we not a church that, that believes in Lent? Well, it's because of this. You'll find this amongst many Protestant churches. Martin Luther, when he broke away from the Roman Catholic Church about 500 years ago, he said, this Christianity has become a just religious, mindless activity. And what I want is I want a genuine, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we teach, rather than just having 40 days of special prayer, penance, sacrifice, and good works, we say every day of the year should be special time of prayer, penance, sacrifice, and good works. We don't reserve it for 40 days. We try to do it all through the year. Now, I'm not saying we're good at it, but I'm saying that's the reason behind it. Now, just to prove my point here today, to, 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 to demonstrate to you why it's so important not to turn your faith into a religion, is because, well, look at this. Three days before Ash Wednesday is Mardi Gras season. I don't know if anybody knows what Mardi Gras is. Mardi Gras season. I was going to put up a, 
uh, a picture of it, but it was, it was just too inappropriate for, for, for church. Mardi Gras means Fat Tuesday, in case you didn't know, or Shrove Tuesday. What happens is because everybody knows it's 40 days of sacrifice and fasting and, you know, of, of, of not living the rowdy life, no dancing or drinking or no, no having fun. What we got to do now is, uh, you know, we got we to gotta fast and just, and just really be hard on ourselves in preparation for Easter. So what they do is three days before Easter, they have... Uh, just an all-out gorging fest, a festival. They eat, they drink. They're, it's a drunken, immoral free-for-all. So guess what? So not only do we not want to limit our prayer and our good works on our sacrifice to 40 days, we also don't want to gorge ourselves with food and enter into a drunken, immoral free-for-all. But this is what happens, folks, when your Christianity is reduced to a religion. And this is why what we need to do is to pass on to our children this daily personal walk with God. Every day, folks, is a day of full surrender to Jesus Christ. In fact, Joshua warns us of this. Here's what he says. He says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. If you abandon God, if you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you, even though he's been so good to you. What's Joshua warning the people? He's just finished telling us earlier in that chapter, it's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But then he says, but you're not able to serve the Lord. What's Joshua saying? He's saying what every one of us needs to understand today and that somehow, some way, my dad understood this. I don't know how he got this, but he figured it out. He's figured out with what a lot of pastors still don't understand. And it's a mistake that so many people make. They think that they can serve God in their own wisdom, their own power, in their own energy, their own strength. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve God. I'm going I'm to honor the Lord. And Joshua said, no, you can't. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to do it. You can't do it in your own strength. What you need... Joshua says, is you need the power of God at work in your life. You need to have a personal relationship with God so that God can enable you to live a life that pleases him. How many of you here today, you're so frustrated with your Christian walk and it's because you've been trying to do it on your own. Rather than coming humbly before God and saying, God, I'm a wreck without you. I can't get it right. I mess up. I sin. I fall into temptation. I, I fail the test over and over and over again. That's what Joshua's saying here. Now listen to me. This is why it's so critical for my generation to pass on to the next generation the understanding that you will never be able to live this Christian life in your own strength. You need to learn what it means to depend on the grace of God. You need to depend on the grace of God because you're going to let God down and you're going to let your wife down, your, your kids down. You're going to let everybody down. But I'm going to tell you, with God's grace, with his enabling, you can walk this path. And I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. Your kids are going to, are going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that are shameful. 
And rather than shaking your finger at them and saying, you stupid kid, and how could you, be, how could you bring shame on our family, and how could you be so miserable and so wicked, what you're going to say to them is, hey, son, welcome to the club. My daughter, welcome to the club. You're just as much in need of God's grace as I am. That's what Joshua's saying here. Bill, you need God's grace the way I need God's grace. Vicky, Bob, you need God's grace. I need God's grace. Without God's grace, my life is a mess. But with God's grace and his strength, I can serve the Lord in, in his power. This is what we pass on to the next generation. Here's what I know. I know that so many people just give up on Christianity. It's, it's, you can't do it. It's hopeless. It's just can't do it. And you're right, you can't. But we're, with us, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Johnny Cash, some of you know him. I'm going to close with this. We know that guy? Baptized. This might shock you. Baptized in 1944 in the Tyronza River, member of the Central Baptist Church there in Dias, Arkansas. In 1954, Cash married Vivian and they moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where he worked uh, in an appliance store, hoping that he would be able to be trained as a radio announcer. And he loved to play on his guitar and fiddle around with that and... I thought, you know what, I'm going to try, I'm going to try going to Sun Records studio and maybe they'll, they'll give me a contract. So that's what he did. He went to the record studio, he auditioned for Sam Phillips, and he sang a bunch of gospel songs because he's a Christian, right? And Phillips said this to him. He said, uh, we, don't, we don't record gospel music anymore. It was once rumored that Phillips told Cash to go home and do some sinning and then write a song. Go sin so that I can sell a song, sell your songs. And so what happened next is Cash, his life uh, went into a tailspin. Drugs, alcohol, abuse, constant touring, fairs with other women. And next thing you know, he, uh, he and his wife broke up and Johnny Cash and June Carter got together. Now, June Carter is from a good Christian family. They traveled throughout the South singing her songs that some of you may remember, the Carter family. And it was during this time that Johnny Cash was feeling guilty. He grew up baptized, grew up in the church. He sang the songs. Anytime he, he sang those songs, tears would stream down his cheeks because he knew how far he was away from God and he missed God. Now, thank God that the Carter family, rather than hating him and rejecting him and, and treating him judgmentally and with condemnation, they embraced him and loved him, told him that God loves him and can forgive him of his sin. And uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter, they surrendered their lives to Christ some of you may remember Johnny Cash speaking at a Billy Graham crusade. Wrote a book, wrote a biography, an autobiography called The Man in Black. Johnny Cash talks about his journey away from God and his journey back to God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. 
This is the story of most of us here. And I want you to know something. You need to tell your kids it's a journey. You're not going to always get it right. But I want you to know my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister, God loves you. And although you think you've given up on God, God will never give up on you. There's a circle that the Carter family sang, and actually Johnny began to sing it. And uh, actually, uh, when I Googled this, the, uh, the Google search said that this song was written by Johnny Cash, and it's not. It's an old hymn that the Carter family sang, and it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> You'd be happy to know. He says, I was standing by the window on one cold and cloudy day when I saw the hearse come rolling for to carry my mother away. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. I said to the undertaker, undertaker, please drive slow for this lady you are carrying. Lord, I hate to see her go. Will the circle be unbroken? Oh, I followed close behind her, tried to hold up and be brave, but I could not hide my sorrow when they laid her in the grave. Will the circle be unbroken? I went back home. The home was lonesome. Since my mother, she was gone. All my brothers and sisters crying. What a home so sad and alone. We sang songs of childhood, hymns of faith that made us strong, ones that Mother Maybell taught us. Hear the angels sing along. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? There's a better home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. Thank God for godly grandparents, godly parents. Not afraid, not ashamed to tell their story. And yet, also not afraid to say why they need Jesus and why you need Jesus. I'll tell you, my grandparents, whenever I went to visit, the first thing my grandmother would say to me, how's your walk with God? Uh, hmm. How would you like that if I did that for you every Sunday? How's your walk with God? Did you pray this week? Did you do your devotions? That's what my grandma did. Thank God for that. Thank God for aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who will speak honestly about their faith journey. Because at the end of the day, your job and my job is to share our faith with the next generation, with our children, their sisters and brothers. Because it's our mission from this day forward not to lose one family member. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Can we pray? Father, right now you see the heartache that's in the hearts of many a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, family members, Lord, who are far from you right now. God, thank you that you're not far from them. And God, we pray right now for the grace and for the power, the strength, Lord, to not give up on our family members. May we pray fervently and may we share honestly without fail with our family, with our kids especially, so that they may catch our faith and that they may surrender their lives to you.
because we don't want that circle to be broken. Because someday, God, we are looking for that day when we'll be gathered together in that place called heaven before the throne of God. And we want to rejoice together with that circle being unbroken. So God, do a work we pray in our families today. And may we not give up praying. May we not give up talking to our kids and our family about you. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, don't give up on your family.